0: Good. What's good Sea Wood back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with Seawood. Ball About the South, it is that sports podcast where it's real sports and it is real southern flavor. My my name is Kerry Wood, you call me Seawood for short, at C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me, and this is one of the most important episodes of the year. As we... Previewed the SEC. We previewed the S- the SWAC, which is the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the HBCUs. We look at some of the other HBCUs as well, the MIAC, uh, schools that are not in HBCU leagues, like Tennessee, uh, Tennessee State, and like the NCA and T Aggies. We'll look at all of that in this episode, and I am just glad to have you here with me don't worry nfl fans we're gonna get to you in the next couple of episodes well maybe not that episode later on this week but by this time next week we'll have you covered as well if you're not a college football fan and you like the nfl this is probably not the show for you i would encourage you if you don't like the college football you know and you're an nfl fan i would encourage you to, you know to kind of give it a shot but hey yeah, I definitely understand, but don't worry at all, cause we're gonna have you covered next week as we talk some NFL and get you ready for kickoff before next week's NFL's uh, slate gets going. Uh, obviously, in that we will, you know, look at the entire NFL, but we'll take uh, precedent or you know really focus in on the AFC South and the NFC South. Those divisions right here down in my neck of neck of the woods and if you this is the first time you've joined me here on ball about the south again my name is Kerry Wood, but call me C Wood I reside here in Birmingham Alabama and uh yeah I shouldn't have to by saying that <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know about how I feel about college football I'm a, a big time Alabama fan but Again, I'm not that Alabama fan that's going to sit here and just is Alabama and nobody else. I look at things as objectively as I can, and I uh, definitely respect each and every one of the other 13 schools in the SEC. So, uh, you know, it's not – I mean, don't get me wrong. I might show them a little favoritism here and there. I'm not going to sit in and and deny that. (laughs) But for the most part, I'm going to keep it as real as I possibly can. And i bring you the best uh, sports talk about the SEC that I possibly can. And hopefully it's the best that you'll that you hear anywhere else. Anyway, man, we're going to get started with this show. Before I get into the meat and potatoes of breaking down the SEC, we're going to get into a little bit of what went down in week zero. what We saw last weekend because, yes, there was an SEC team in action. And that team, or that school, Was the Vanderbilt Commodores And what a I tell you what a night they had Out on the island there in Hawaii I mean I was impressed with what I saw Of Vanderbilt They went out and took care of business And all the time man I'm just sitting here Looking at Twitter And now actually to be honest with you Before I really was able to lay eyes on the game At all I'm sitting there looking at Twitter And I'm looking at some of the reaction of some people there on uh, some of you know people that i follow or whatever in my timeline and everybody's bashing vanderbilt so i'm sitting there looking like man i guess i guess vanderbilt is if, if they're not losing this game it must be really tight and they must be making a lot of mistakes and and it's just like it was totally the opposite and i, I just again you know, i think we need to kind of just kind of get out of that a little bit and then and there's and then there's still chatter about uh, Vanderbilt leaving the SEC and a lot of people want them to leave the SEC and I just not really understanding why i mean it, i mean it is what it is every conference has a team pretty much that is um kind of been the doormat. i' I'm, it's not Again, Vanderbilt has had a little success. I mean, it's not like they haven't been to a couple bowls or whatever, especially here in recent years under Derek Mason. And we'll see what Clark Lee, the head coach right now, can do. But uh, you know, I, I, they they hold their own in other sports. They just won a national title a couple of years ago in college baseball. <laughs> they uh, they used to be really good in basketball. They're not as good now, but basketball is a lot easier to turn around than football is so I don't really get the I don't know man you get around to build a break man I mean this, <laughs> you gotta understand where they're coming from obviously they should be better than they are don't get me wrong but then again you do kind of look at some of the, well at least I do I think you have to look at the limitations that they have academically and whatever and I think that that is definitely a reason why they have not been as good in football and i just you know i don't have a problem with them being in the sec i'm just i don't i just thought i need to say that because i just saw a lot of that saturday night and and this was a game that they dominated (laughs) it's like i mean what in the world is going on i don't understand it anyway but uh like i said it, it was what it was on saturday night obviously things are going to get a lot tougher for the Commodores going forward. Now what they do in the SEC you know has no has really no bearing on what we saw Saturday night in my opinion. I mean you know just like me doing this preview even though yes they played a game what I think of Vanderbilt didn't necessarily change the other night. So you know again but at the same time I'm not going to sit there and bash them in in a time where they actually did pretty good. <laughs> anyway, uh, some other things that caught my eye in week zero: uh, the FAMU North Carolina thing, the FAMU thing. I started to talk, just kind of go into that when I go into my HBCU preview, but uh, thought I'd just take a quick minute and talk about that now. And that was really a huge embarrassment with FAMU. It was, you know. There was questioning whether they, whether they would be able to make the trip to tar, to Chapel Hill at all. Turns out they finally were able to, but when they, it was not until after some real, real public embarrassment. Or um, I don't, I really don't know how to explain what happened there, and it all comes down to some issues with uh, academics, Uh, some of the players not fulfilling everything that they've needed to fulfill. But then again, on the flip side of that, even though it's a, you know, it's a player issue there, the staff there at FAMU was, was pretty, obviously very late in recognizing it and where there could be something done about it. And so, it was going to be maybe as many as thirty FAMU ball ballplayers that would not have been able to make the trip. That would not have been able to dress out. Uh, head coach Willie Simmons was saying that there was only seven offensive linemen. I mean, you could just do the math. I mean, you know, you know, if you wanted them to play all night and not get a rest, then I guess you could you could have went on and made the trip, <laughs> but with seven offensive linemen, but um, normally you don't do that. You want at least two deep at each position. And obviously you have five offensive linemen, two guards, two tackles in the center, and uh, you can't – obviously you can't field a team like that, especially when you're talking about going up against a team that's in the division above you like North Carolina is to FAMU. So, and I, I'm just really hoping FAMU gets it together and, and really all HBCUs, because who knows, there there may be other schools that are going through some of the same issues. I don't know. But they've got to get that rectified. That, you know, that is extreme embarrassment. And uh, anyway, thank goodness it worked out where they were able to make that trip. And, and I will say, FAMU did pretty good uh, for three quarters. And, you know, things got away from them there in that fourth quarter and North Carolina was able to go out to a uh, big win. I think it turned out to be 59-24. But uh, we're talking about a 35-24 game uh, right up to the fourth quarter and you was kind of right there with a chance to maybe, you know, hey, hang around and make it a real game to the wire, but unfortunately that did not happen. The other really big piece of news in my opinion on Week Zero obviously was over the pond over there in Ireland. And really there were two, two sides to it I mean Pat, you know, Pat Fitzgerald continues to do a very good job and excellent job there at Northwestern they come out with a huge win 34, uh, 31-28 over Nebraska and uh, you know again look I, it, Northwestern is, a, I think is a school that is very um, similar to Vanderbilt So, you know, sit there and you think about Vanderbilt. Obviously, there is hope. But then again, I think, you know, the the lower part of the Big Ten is not quite as strong as the SEC is. You know, know, I I would say that. So, a team like Northwestern could, you know, probably have a little bit more success. I think maybe Vanderbilt could have close to Northwestern success if they were in the Big Ten, possibly. I don't know. But anyway, but regardless of that fact, Good win for Northwestern. The other side of the field is where the headlines are going on that football game. Uh, head coach of the Nebraska Cornhusker, Scott Frost, is he was already in hot water. That seat was already uh, piping hot. And it just got even hotter with the performance there on Saturday. Namely, uh, you know, specifically. Him going for a um, onside kick there in the third quarter. Now, Nebraska's up eleven at this point. They're up eleven, <laughs> so two scores, and seemingly, pretty, I mean, a good a good amount of momentum. I would say a twenty-eight seventeen, a good amount of momentum going their way. Um, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't have said that they were in full control of the game, but I think at that point you would have to like you would have to have liked Nebraska's uh chances to win the game. And here goes Scott Frost going for an onside kick. And obviously Northwestern gets it in you know how it goes, I'm kicking with you know from the where they kick from. Northwestern gets the ball in excellent field position. They go right down the field and score. It only took them what forty yards, if that. And now it goes from 28 17 to twenty eight twenty four, And at that point, it, you know, the momentum advantage completely shifted to the other side of the field to the guys wearing purple. They go and they score again. And really, I mean, I mean, you can sit there and say, well, you know what? There was a lot of football game played after that. But I can say with confidence that move lost Nebraska the football game. It, it completely flipped the whole game. The offense sputtered from that point. They did not uh, think about threatening the score after that, and they had a pretty good rhythm going. The quarterback, Thompson, was playing pretty good there in the first half. His numbers completely went, to, you know, completely went south from that in the second half. They had a really good um, duo there at running back, Yant and Grant. They uh, they were doing really good things there in the first half. I think they kind of went away from that in the second half. And what was still a very tight game, it, it made no sense. I mean, give Northwestern credit, they did what they had to do. But uh, I, I just did not get what we saw from Nebraska in the second half. I and mean, Scott Frost, man, that seat is extremely hot there. In Nebraska, and, and the thing is, I was talking to a couple of people, a couple of my friends on Twitter about Nebraska and their and their fans. The H- Cornhusker fans, there are no better fans in college football than Nebraska fans. I mean, I don't know how many straight sellouts they've had there at Memorial Stadium in, in Lincoln. But, I mean, it's been for years and years and years, as far as I can remember. I don't think they still think that streak is going, if I'm not mistaken. And um, phew, I feel bad for them, man. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. I really feel bad because I, you know, I think you know a lot of Alabama fans may kind of not remember where we were at one point. If we don't hire Nick Saban, we might be Nebraska right now. You know, I think, and I think that it's going to be hard for Nebraska to get back and really get get fully back to where they were. I don't know if you'll ever see them be. What they were on the Tom Osborne, or anything like that? I don't think that. I think that ship has sailed. I'm not really sure what Nebraska high school athletics are like right now, but I think that has always been kind of a uh, negative for them, kind of a weakness. But when you know Osborne was there, you know he was able to recruit nationally, and, thing, and things were just a little bit different then. You didn't have these schools that are popping up, uh, jumping from the FCS to the FBS. You didn't have the the group of fives, you know, being able to hang in recruiting wise. You didn't have the Jackson States and HBCUs being able to hang in and grab some players of of their own or whatever. So I think it's a lot different. And now if they don't have that high school base right there in their state, it's, it's tough to recruit. And so you you add that on with what is really bad coaching right now that we're seeing from Scott Frost, it's not a good combination. And I think, dude, you sit there and you look at it, man, Scott Frost probably kind of got that job on one really one good season at UCF. We probably really didn't know the real deal behind Scott Frost. Unfortunately, here in Nebraska, I think we're figuring it out. So anyway, that was, you know, a little bit of what we saw in week zero. Now it's time to look ahead and what are we going to see when weeks one through 15 (laughs) in the SEC? We're going to get into that, man. We're going to start off with the Eastern Division when Ball About the South continues. all right y'all so we're back ball about the south continues with this sec preview and before the break i came out and i basically said that i was gonna break down the east first and you know what i've kind of scrapped those plans <laughs> i'm gonna i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna mix everything up we're gonna go you know kind of basically a power ranking style um, breakdown here So I'm going to start with number 14, man. You know, we're going to start at number 14, and we're going to work our way up to number one. I'm going to split them up into two. I'll get from 14 to eight, and then I'll come back and go from seven to one. So let's start this thing off. And at number 14, despite what we saw from them the other night, with that uh, really big win against Hawaii, I have the Vanderbilt Commodores. (laughs) <laughs> okay, no surprise there. No surprise at all. Uh, I have Vandy coming in, bringing up the rear. I think that Vandy's going to be improving what we saw last year where Clark Lee had his, you know, the head coach had his first season. They went only two for 10 or two and 10. I think they improve on that. I think they at least get to three and nine. I really, I think I'm going to go with them getting to the four and eight. Because I think you look at these first four games; they're very winnable. They could be four and zero going to Alabama on September twenty fourth. They should be at least three and one. And I think if they can get that three and one, I think they can find another W somewhere. Whether it's at Missouri, possibly, maybe South Carolina at home, maybe um, yeah, you know, one of those games. It's gonna to be tough, but I think I can see them getting the four and eight. I think they're their um for me their ceiling is four and eight. And their floor for me would be finishing two and ten again. That's kind of what I see from Vanderbilt here in two thousand twenty two. We'll go for number thirteen. If you know, we're gonna stick in the east and I'm gonna go with Missouri Tigers. I think Missouri is a team that here for several you know for a few seasons here in a row a lot of people have kind of had them on their sleeper list to a degree maybe not to you know contend for the division or anything but to have a chance you know maybe upset a team or two or something like that not sure I get that feeling from this version of Missouri I think their floor probably I think when you look at this team I think would be uh I, I would say four and eight, possibly three and nine would be their floor um uh, and then I think their their ceiling I, I would say four and eight would be their floor. I think their ceiling would be six and six, so I'm gonna go right in between that and I'm gonna go five and seven and say that Missouri is not quite good enough to make a bowl this season. so I've got Missouri at thirteen. I think you go to number 12 and we're going to have to switch from the East to the West on that one. And that the number 12 team, it might kind of shock you a little bit, but I'm going with the LSU Tigers. I'm going to the Bayou with that one. And I'll tell you why it's, it's, it's basically continuity. I think you sit there and you look around the SEC, especially in the SEC West. I think you see a lot of continuity for the most part, you know, um, so I, I just think new coach, brand new system, brand new quarterback, all those things add up to some growing pains. I just I just really do feel issue. There's not anything against them. Now, could I see them being, you know, better than expected? Sure. Because I think Brian Kelly is a good football coach. I think it was a good move for them to bring in Brian Kelly. I, I really do. But I think that, you know, you sit there and you look at this football team, this particular season is just not quite <laughs> not quite the best environment to bring, you know, your new quarterback, new coaching staff and all of that into. So I think you look at LSU, the I would say their floor. Their floor, in my opinion, would be five and seven and not making a bowl. Just looking at their, their schedule. Which is obviously very tough being in in the SEC, but I think their ceiling would be eight and four. So you know, I think there's you know, they pull off a couple wins that we're not expecting them to. They could get to eight wins possibly, but I'm gonna go with them being seven and five. And I could I could really I'm really close to saying six and six, and I really can see that happening as well. But I'll give them benefit of the doubt And maybe they steal one somewhere And so I'll give them 7-5 And I think they'll make a ball game We go to number 11 And it gets a little bit tougher But actually it gets a lot tougher for me So I'm, you know, like I said Well, it it gets a lot tougher I'm going to be real because I think You know, if you're sitting there looking at me Putting the LSU at 12 I'm not saying that they're just this horrible football team Or anything like that I mean, we're talking about a top 40 or so team being the 12th best team in the sec which is <laughs> quite respectable maybe top 30 ish 30 you know 30 to 40 type team in the country being the 12th best team in the sec let's just be real about it so at number 11 like i say, it gets a little bit tougher again i'm gonna go with this continuity thing and then you know and experience, and I'm going to go with Auburn at, at number 11. Um, again, I think the, the schedule is quite tough. Obviously, Georgia's on their schedule every year, and they travel to Athens this year. They travel to Athens and to Tuscaloosa this season. You have uh, they have LSU at home. They have Arkansas at home, which is going to be tough. A&M at home. It's a tough schedule, man. When you kind of put it in that in that you know in that light i mean going to georgia and going to alabama in the same season that you know you can almost count that as two losses already so i think you know you sit there and you look at their floor and their ceiling they went six and seven last year they lost their ball game but uh they have tj Finley who's going to be the quarterback really really like their backfield the back the running back room is is one of the best in the scc and or in probably one of the best in the country defensively they should be really good shouldn't have any worries there but uh i don't i'm not really sure how explosive they're going to be with the passing game so i think six and seven uh well obviously that includes the ball game last year for me, their their ceiling would probably be. I think I think Auburn's ceiling would be eight and four. If if LSU's is eight and four, I have to say Auburn's is eight and four because those two teams are very similar. But I think Auburn's floor, in my opinion, also would be five and seven for probably more six and six ish. So I'm gonna go seven and five for Auburn. Um I c again I could see six and six, but if I if I can go six and six, seven and five for LSU, obviously if Auburn's gonna finish a step in front of LSU I'd have to go with Auburn just a little bit further and so I'd have to go with them being seven and five. And again that LSU game is on October first against Auburn and that game is in you know, it's being played at Auburn, so I give Auburn a little bit of an edge because of that. Let's go to number 10. Number 10, again, it's starting to get really very difficult because I think there are a lot of teams that are very similar. And at number 10, man, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, I, I think now this is <laughs> it's extremely close. This I mean, you're talking about razor thin. But, I mean, the Ole Miss to me is going to be really good in their running game. But I have questions about them at the quarterback position. Obviously, after losing a guy like Matt Corral from last season. Matt Corral, um, I mean, he did his thing. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. There's no question about it. So replacing him with a guy like Jackson Dart uh, its going to be interesting, to say the least. He's a transfer in from USC. So, there's talent there. Don't get me wrong. You know Lane Kiffin is going to be able to dial some things up to uh, score some points. And I think the running game is going to be solid. Defensively, they really came on last season. They have seven returning defensively. So, I think the Rebels are going to continue to improve defensively. I think that that is one, going to be one of the things that's going to allow them to stay in some ball games. Uh, you think You look at their schedule they should be 4-0 and with Kentucky coming in on October 1st. and That would be their homecoming game, as a matter of fact. Well, so, you know, if they're able to get to that and get to, uh, 5-0, and then you look up the next week, is Vanderbilt. They could be 6-0. and Then they get Auburn at home. I mean, theoretically, Ole Miss could be 7-0 and going to Baton Rouge. But then again, <laughs> those five games... Remaining after that at LSU, at Texas A&M, Alabama at home, at Arkansas, Mississippi State. I mean, I, I seriously can see Ole Miss losing all five of those games. That's the issue with this schedule. just the back end. So, I think when you sit there and you look at it, man, I think there's no way you can give this team a floor of, of less than 6-6 six and six when you sit there and you look at that schedule. I think their ceiling would probably be eight and four again. So you know, I'm gonna go seven and five for them again. So you see where I'm going with this? I mean, I've got LSU six and six, seven and five. I've got Auburn seven and five. I've got Ole Miss seven and five. So me having these teams at 12, 11, 10, or whatever, it just doesn't really matter. All of these teams are, you know, very similar. So we go to number nine and i'm gonna go with the south carolina gamecocks and we all know what south carolina did last season no one expected a thing from them because well i mean <laughs> no one's gonna expect a whole lot from a team that's starting at quarterback a guy that was supposed to be a grad assistant coach <laughs> a graduate assistant that's how bad it was for them last season where they had to replace the quarterback, with a graduate assistant. So, this season, they're replacing that grad assistant with Spencer Rattler. You know Spencer Rattler. He came from Oklahoma. He was supposed to have been the Heisman Trophy favorite last season, or at least one of them. Ended up losing his job to Caleb Williams. Ended up getting it back for a little while. A couple, you know, stretch of a couple games or something, then gave it back and all of that. Now, Caleb Williams is at USC with Lincoln Riley, and Spencer Rattler is in Columbia, South Carolina with Shane Beamer in his second season. Now, this is a team that came out of nowhere and went 7-6. and six. They went 3-5 and five in the league last year, which was very, very respectable, to say the least. And so, you look at their schedule this season, man, Now obviously they're in the East, so they're going to get Georgia. But they get them at home. They get them at home. They, they they travel to Arkansas. That is the second game in the season, September the tenth. But other than that, going to Kentucky on October eighth, this team should be three and two at that point. Then they get Texas AM in Columbia. They get Missouri in Columbia, South Carolina. They go to Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, and they end off the season with at Florida, Tennessee, at Clemson. I can see seven wins again out of that. I think probably a ceiling for South Carolina would be eight and four, much like, again, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, very much the same. And I think that they'll get to seven and five and equal their output from last season and get themselves in a bowl again. But with this team, man, now with a guy like Spencer Rattler, I mean, now your quarterback position is a lot better than it was last season. You defensively, you only, return, you only return five starters, but offensively, you return nine. This team should be able to put some points on the board. So, I can see them pulling an upset, maybe Texas a and coming to Columbia, South Carolina. I can see them maybe going through the swamp. And pulling a and pulling the victory, I can see them beating Tennessee in Columbia. I can see all of that. So, I think again, I think their ceiling is possibly maybe even nine and three, which would be crazy. But I'm gonna say their ceiling is eight and four. I'm gonna be a little bit conservative on that, and I think they get to the seven and five as well. Number eight on the list. Here in my power rankings, I guess you would call them, but how I feel like the SEC is going to go down here in 2022. And again, you know, once I get done with all these, we'll split them up into divisions. But number eight for me right now, I would have to go with, I'm going to have to go with the Florida Gators. And again, it gets back to that continuity thing. You have a brand new coach, uh, obviously, and Billy Napier I think Billy Napier is gonna uh, I like a lot of the things that I'm hearing from him obviously he's had a really good track record going back to his days at Louisiana and all of that so I think this really could be the right guy could be the right hire for Florida And um, again yeah, it's a tough spot really to prognosticate it's really you know to predict because I think again, these all of these teams are so similar. But uh, you look at starting quarterbacks it's going to be Anthony Richardson. We've all been really wanting to see him, you know, have his time where he's been, you know, he's the guy, strong arm, athletic guy that can, you know, use his feet, all of that. I don't know if they have the weapons other than him on the offense though. I think again maybe the you know on the depth chart you look at their ones and, and they can match anyone in the league but I think you go past that you talk about you know they're too deep and all of that I think they kind of lack a lot of the um, depth that some of the other teams have a team like a Kentucky, a team like a Tennessee, a team like a Mississippi state who I have not gotten to yet so for me you know that that's why i would have florida again same kind of record though eight and four things really go well that ceiling could creep up to nine and three i don't see that for this team though i think there's gonna be a struggle here and there and i think you'll see this team go for me i would have their ceiling be eight and four And their floor be six and six, so I'm gonna have them again. (laughs) And I know this kind of sounds like a broken record at this point, but I'm gonna have them go seven and five. I haven't had a single team kind of go get to you know where I think that they're gonna definitely get to that upper threshold. They're 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 gonna get to that point of you know where I think that, that we're gonna see them. Uh, finish at the top of where they, where we think they could finish. I don't, I, I don't see any of those teams so far getting to their ceiling, basically. And Florida again is one of those teams that I, I don't see quite getting there. And I think you look at the schedule, you understand why. I mean, they start out with Utah at home. That's going to be a very interesting game. Obviously, uh, Utah is a team that a lot of people are pegging as a national championship contender out in the Pac-12. I don't know about all that. I think they're going to be good. But, uh, again, we'll talk about that game a little bit later. Maybe in my next show here coming up at the end of this week. Uh, What I expect to see out of that game. Then you go out of that. (laughs) And you get Kentucky the very next week in the swamp. Obviously, that is going to be a humongous game this early in the season. Huge game. Then you go south florida the week after that week three and then you go to knox i mean three humongous games right out of the gate for florida i just think that is not a good recipe in my opinion it's, I, I i don't i really don't think it is. I'm, even if they beat utah i could see them losing to kentucky and, uh, tennessee and kentucky after that so again I, i've got their ceiling i mean their tip top ceiling would be nine and three I think really more 8 and 4, but I'm going to predict 7 and 5 from the Florida Gators. All right, so you get you have it there my 8 through 14 picks in the SEC. I have at number 14 I have the Vanderbilt Commodores at 13. I have the Missouri Tigers at 12. I have the LSU Tigers at 11, the Tiger Party continues. I have the Auburn Tigers at 11. I have the Ole Miss Rebels at 10. I have the South Carolina Gamecocks at 9, and I have the Florida Gators at 8. We'll come back. We're going to take a break from the SEC. My next segment, we're going to get into some HBCUs, because I don't want to leave them necessarily for last on this show. We're going to talk some HBCUs, the SWAC, MEAC, Tennessee State, all that. When Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all. Ball about the South continues, and we're going to get into some HBCU talk. So, we're going to split this thing up. Uh, I went through my 14 through 8 teams in the SEC, as I uh, feel they'll be kind of ranked, you know, so the power ranking, so to speak. I'll hit you up with the 7 through 1 here in my next segment. But for a few minutes, man, we're going to get into these HBCUs. To kind of give you an idea of what to look for as we get going into the 2022 season. Specifically SWAC. um, You know, I think the SWAC is going to be a very interesting league. Last season, we saw the Jackson State Tigers do their thing. And they were able to win the championship there and make it to the Celebration Bowl. Where they did not fare too well against South Carolina State. The South Carolina State Bulldogs put it on them in Atlanta in the Celebration Bowl there in December. So Jackson State's going to, you know, try to avenge that. They're going to uh, obviously try to get back where they were last season and duplicate what they did last season in the SWAC, which was go undefeated. They only lost to two games. They lost the one game to FBS, Louisiana Monroe, and that game was very tight. Um, they had their chances to win that game on the road, and then the other game that they lost, of course, was South Carolina State. But they had a lot of they had a really, they had a lot of close ball games mixed in there. I mean, a lot of games that went uh, maybe not necessarily down to the wire, but a lot of games that were really you know, you know I think in some cases were tighter than we thought we thought they would be. The offense in some cases, I don't think. You know, I think I think obviously the offense was very good because Shadur Sanders did his thing. I mean, he won the Jerry Rice Award as the top freshman in the FCS, which I thought he definitely deserved. He did not win Offensive Player of the Year. Now there were a lot of people around, especially you know Jackson State and um, some other people around HBCU HBCU circles as a whole that thought Shadur Sanders should have won Offensive Player of the Year, but that. Um, that distinction went to Akil Glass, which I really thought was the correct um, response. I thought that Akil Glass was a little bit better than Drew Sanders to a degree. Now I think Glass had some some interceptions there, especially in a couple of games later in the year. I mean, he—I uh, remember specifically the Alabama State game, which is the Magic City Classic. Where he threw a couple of interceptions, but. That offense rocked and rolled all year long. He had more pass yards. He was the, uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best, passers in the FCS. I think the Alabama and Bulldogs finished with the fourth best passing offense in the FCS. So I thought Akeel Glass being the, the choice for offensive player, the year was the correct. So, you know, Shadir Sanders did not get there, but he had plenty of accolades for his freshman year, and you can only expect for things to be better for this dude going forward, and obviously, with things getting better for him, that's going to mean a lot of things better for the Jackson State Tigers. Now, last season, the team that we thought was going to be the, the you know, the closest uh, competitor to them in the SWAC East was Alabama A&M. and Boy, did they get smacked by Jackson State in that game there in Huntsville last season. And after that, man, a and even though they ended up with a pretty good record and everything, they were not quite the same team. They gave up too many yards, too many points with that defense last season. So we'll have to see if they improve upon that. I think, again, I think Jackson State, you have to say that they're the favorite. When you look at the recruiting they've done over the last few years, obviously with Prime, coach prime that is uh, doing his thing bringing in guys like Travis Hunter was the number one high school uh, recruit overall Uh, he sat there and (laughs) chose Jackson State over uh, FBS schools namely Florida State so he's not the only one they they have have a lot of transfers that have come in that I think that they can uh, put in different spots where they uh, you know, have some guys leave or whatever. Jackson State should not miss a beat. That is basically what I'm trying to tell you. I, I don't think that they should miss a beat at all. I think that Alabama A&M was a team last season that was supposed to have been that team that kind of gave them a really, you know, uh, made things tough on them. And it didn't quite come to fruition last year. And, and again, I think it was totally up to their defense. You had really the best quarterback and you know in hbcus i think one of the best quarterbacks in the fcs yet uh, one of the best running backs in the fcs maybe the best running back in the fcs gary Quarles he returns and i think which could be huge for him in this season because i think when you sit there and you look at having to replace akil glass the quarterback obviously that you know that can be a little bit dicey with whoever you bring in, and and I think right now, I'm the news that I'm seeing is that, uh, you know the thing, the stories that I'm hearing right now is Connell Maynard the head coach there at Alabama A&M, decided on Quincy Casey. He's a shirt sophomore that is going to be the replacement for Keo Glass. He, you may have heard of him. He is a guy that. Uh, he actually went to Jackson State University He he started there in his freshman season As a quarterback there And um Now he moves on to Alabama and m To replace Raquel Glass Which is you know again The guy that's looked at as the best quarterback ever For the Alabama A&M University Bulldogs So those will be some big shoes to fill But I think that He's a guy that um should be able to really um, do some things for this Alabama AM team. Now, again, I think Gary Quarles being being back in the fold, the best running back I think in the HBCU ranks, is going to help out a lot. And they also have a couple receivers back. Uh, Ibrahim was one that went over a thousand yards last season. He is back. So I think AM, while they obviously they're going to have to figure out their defense, I think offensively, even though. Akil glass is gone. I think they'll be okay. I think the next team is the other AM that you look at is really gonna be probably the main competitor to Jackson State again, just as they were last season, the Florida AM Rattlers. Now, Florida AM has some issues right now. We know about what they what happened there at North Carolina and you know, everything leading up to them going making that trip to Chapel Hill talked about that earlier in the broadcast or in, in the uh, show so not really sure if there's going to be any residual effect from that obviously they got to get things together because they have that Jackson State game coming up this weekend down in Florida obviously a huge game this is the game last season that basically decided the SWAC Eastern Division and Jackson State won that game 7-6 to six. <laughs> so I don't have to tell you how huge this game is for Florida A&M. They're coming off that 59-24 loss to North Carolina. You have guys back for, for the Rattlers like Xavier Smith, who's a really good wide receiver. Um, you know, Coach – coach. Um, you know, I think their they're Coach Willie Simmons is um, definitely – coming back with some, you know, with a lot of talent that's going to be another challenge to Jackson State but can they win this football game To you know, coming up this weekend that's going to be the question I mean Jackson State with that strong defense that they had last season they bring a lot of those guys back to go along with that offense and I don't know I mean, it's going to be tough that's all I can say you themselves have a really good defense themselves though One of the best edge rushers in the FCS, Isaiah Land, led the FCS last season with 19 sacks. He also led the FCS, the entire FCS last season with 25 and a half tackles for loss. So this dude's the real deal. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought that he might transfer out and, you know, maybe go to an FBS school. But no, he is returning to FAMU, which is huge for that defense and I think that is going to be a key for them hanging into this race again but can they get over the top against Jackson State this week I mean it's it's you hate to put that much emphasis or that much importance on one game here in the first week of the season but, but that's where it is and that's the only way you can look at it so you know um, again yeah, I think FAMU has a really good chance to win that football game but they're gonna to have to find a way to score some points, and that's gonna to be tough against that Jackson State defense, which was so dominating, especially their front seven last season, I thought was one of the best in the FCS. Definitely the best in the SWAC last season. It's gonna to be tough to score on them. Uh, you look at so for me, those are the top three teams in the SWAC East. Uh obviously you have to involve a team like Alabama State, who could be a team that could, uh, you know, who knows, they could uh, make, a, make a little noise themselves. They have one victory already. They beat the Howard Bison the other night on Saturday Saturday night, that is, in Atlanta. 23-13, to 13, which is a big win for them over the MEAC Bison. So Alabama State's off to a good start. Beyond that, in the Swack East, Cookman, I think it's going to be vastly improved this season. They have a tight end uh, that's really one of the best in the HBCU ranks that went over, went close to 900 yards and receptions last season. And you know, of course, rounding out the Swack East would be Mississippi Valley State. Don't look for a whole lot of from them, but I, I don't think they, I think they have a really good shot to be an improved team. I think the Swack East is is going to be stronger than the West. That is just my prediction on that. And obviously, you sit there and you look at it, though, the two best teams in the SWAC are in that one division, talking about Jackson State and FAMU. So that kind of automatically tilts it that way. You look at the West, some turnover, man. You know, you look at Southern, you look at Grambling, those two teams in Louisiana, I think those two teams could duke it out. Alcorn State is going to have to find a replacement uh, for their quarterback, Last season, Felix Harper was one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks for sure in the HBCU ranks. HBCU ranks. So uh, replacing him is going to be pretty difficult. We'll see how they work that out. Cause they were, one, you know, they were really probably the favorite in the West last season, and things did not quite turn out that way. You know, instead of it being Alcorn State, it turned out to be Prairie View A&M that Jackson State faced back last December so you know we'll see how that goes for, for a team like Alcorn State going forward again I, I think they'll be pretty good but the, the key is obviously going to be replacing Felix Harper we'll see how that goes for them uh, again beyond that Southern Jack Grambling your usual suspects I think will be really good Grambling State has made a lot of noise with a lot of the moves that they have made in the off season. would not surprise me at all if they are the team that represents the East it would not surprise me at all. The Southern is the team that represents the East, um, and of course, you know, look, Alcorn State was more than just Felix Harper last season, so it would not shock me either if they make a run at uh, getting back to the SWAC Championship game as well. It's going to be very interesting. I think, again, I think a lot of solid teams in this league, man. I don't think there's a easy out in this league, in, in, either, in either division. Texas Southern, another team I think should be improved. UAPB, maybe they may end up being the uh, team that kind of uh, finished this last in the in the league, but it's still a really good football team, I think, that can sneak up and beat anybody at any time. So I think the SWAC is going to be a really good uh, conference this season. I look for Jackson State to beat FAMU this weekend. I think it's going to be another tight game. It would not shock me to see FAMU win that game. But I have Jackson State winning that game and that's probably going to be the the key for them to get back to the SWAC championship game like I said. Now they do have that game in Mobile which is kind of odd. They played last year against Alabama A&M in Huntsville and they're going to play this season in Mobile. I forget what they call that game now. The Gulf something classic or something like that. So, Technically, Jackson State's going to play A&M two seasons in a row without playing them in Jackson, which, which is kind of odd. But you see where I'm going with that. That could be the trap game for Jackson State. But then again, can a and win enough before that where it would make even, even make a difference? I mean, if, if A&M's lost two or three games or whatever up into that point, it's not going to really matter as far as the swag championship if they beat if they beat Jackson State or not. Jackson State was would still probably be able to um, get into the championship game. And then I and from the West, I would have to pick right now. It's gonna be tough to go, but I think I would have to go with Southern. But I think Grambling State, either one of those teams are going to be uh, could could represent again, like I said, Alcorn State, I would not forget about them. But I'm going to go with Southern right now. I think defensively, both sides of the football, I think they're really solid. And I think Southern will be the team to beat in the SWAT Western Division. Let's take a look. quick look, man. Tennessee State Tigers, um, teams like NCA&T, NCA&T being in the Big South, they have a huge game coming up this season against North Dakota State. That's going to be interesting to see how NC State can hang in. Maybe not the best year for NCA&T to play a game like that. Uh, I think they're kind of in more of a rebuild mode right now. So you're not going to get an NCA&T team like you would have gotten two or three seasons ago where they they were really making some noise against teams like East Carolina, if I remember correctly. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works out for um NCAA and t playing a game like North Dakota State. Again, we talked about that in my last episode, Talked about how Jackson State and North Dakota State were trying to get a game going between themselves and Jackson State was not going for it. We also talked about how North Dakota State would come in to visit Tennessee State. Um, I think it would be next season. Uh, it's going to be a home-and-home, home, which I'm, you know, I think is very exciting on that stretch, man. So, and speaking of Tennessee State, you know, speaking of the Tigers, coached there by Eddie George, they're uh, obviously they're getting ready for their uh, conference play in the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, we'll see how they can fare coming up this season. Man, they have a huge contest coming up next week against Jackson State themselves. Now, obviously, again, I was just talking about Jackson State being undefeated. You know, that could be Basically, just in the swag. Tennessee State has every chance and they have every opportunity to win a game like that against Jackson State last season. uh, uh, Coming up next week, rather, last season, you know, there was a huge uh, victory for the Jackson State Tigers over Tennessee State 38 16 there in Memphis. And of course, that game is supposedly going away here in the future. We'll see how that goes. I think starting in 2023. Tennessee State and Jackson State won't meet on the football field anymore, or at least for a while anyway, so that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Tennessee State has um, that game against Jackson State, just kind of looking at their schedule, they also have a game against Boone Cookman uh, coming up later in the season, but but those are really the only games that really stand out for uh, Tennessee State that I see on their schedule um, besides what they play um within their conference uh i think you sit there and, oh well there is a team a game against middle tennessee state which actually that that is pretty you know close rival. i don't know if it's a rivalry or not but uh middle tennessee state is just uh down the road there in murfreesboro maybe like what 20 20 minutes 20 30 minutes from nashville so that should be an interesting contest but other than that it's going to be mainly Inside their league, and we'll have to keep a watch on them to see how they're doing, and see if they can make the FCS playoffs, and maybe do some things in the in the Ohio Valley Conference. So, NCA and T, you know, and the MEAC, man, I think this is a South Carolina State thing again. I mean, we saw how those dudes did jackson state last year jackson state again had not given up much at all defensively last season and and the bulldogs carved them up especially in the second half of that game in the celebration bowl i would expect south carolina state to be the team again stranger things have happened so we're going to keep a watch on that man and we'll definitely report back here and and and, uh if we kind of uh amp up my hbcu coverage here on Ball About the South. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk again about the SEC. We're going to go team 7-1 when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all. We're back. We're going to continue with this SEC preview here on Ball About the South. We'll see you. We hope you're enjoying episode so far and we're gonna we've done the um, the top well the bottom <laughs> seven teams that, as far as I see them going in the SEC this season and um, now we're gonna get to the top seven teams and see how this thing goes uh, I think that again I'm, I think there are a lot of teams left here that you know especially these first two or three teams that could end up on that bottom end of the sec. And there are a couple of teams back on that bottom end that I had just had that I just spoke about a little while ago that can end up on the top end. I think there are a couple of teams that could go either way. So these standings are, again, I'm sticking by them and I I think it's pretty much going to, you know, come out like this, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see a you know, a few surprises and you know, a few of these teams kind of shuffle them their way up or down. So anyway, we're going to get into it, man. And number, we continue with number seven here on my SEC preview. Excuse me. I'm, okay. Well, I'm going to go with number seven, and for me, number seven is going to be the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I think Mississippi State is a very interesting case. They have returning starters. They have 17 returning starters. I mean, for Mike Leach, we're on a team that went seven and six last year. Team that you know uh, had a you know very interesting season last year because I think in some ways they probably finished about where we thought they would. Maybe maybe a game game better than we thought they would, but they had some chances. I think that they were they could have been even better than that I mean they could have been eight and five or at least eight and four in the regular season they lost the egg bowl to Ole Miss at home uh you know and um uh, you know I you know, obviously Ole Miss was a really good football team last year but again you know it was it was their home now they have that game on the road this season I think that's kind of the theme for this Mississippi State team you look at their schedule they have road games at Kentucky at Alabama at Ole Miss at lsu uh i think that kentucky game is going to be especially important obviously not in the division but i think in terms of where their record ends up and uh, they and kentucky for that matter that game was on october 15th last year last uh, season mississippi state beat the wildcats there in starkville now they have to return that trip and go to lexington this season so you know i think obviously that may give kentucky a little bit of a leg up but when you sit there and look at Mississippi State, man, when this season it comes down to a six-game stretch. It starts out at home with Texas A&M and Arkansas, which is huge inside the division. Then they go on the road to Lexington and to Tuscaloosa for Kentucky and Alabama. Then they come back home for Auburn and Georgia. Now, the, the first problem there is you get Georgia and Kentucky out of the East. That's not good. So the, the, the schedule sets up kind of bad for Mississippi State when you look at it from that standpoint. But again, they have 17 starters, including their uh, quarterback, Will Rogers. I just think then, you know, the expectations are a little bit higher for this football team. And I think right now, I'd say you were probably talking about a ceiling for this football team of being 9-3. and three. Or worse, eight and four. I mean, I think that is the you know bottom basement uh, ceiling for them will be eight and four. So again, I, I have them going. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough for them to beat Alabama on the road. But if they can, you know, if they can split that six game stretch, some kind of way, you know, they get Auburn at home, they get Arkansas and E and M. At home, and they, you know, they visit Kentucky. If they can find a way to to get three and three, or at least go two and four, you obviously you can't go any worse than two and four in that stretch. I think they can win just about every other game on their schedule. Now they'd have to, you know, they have old at old missing at LSU. Those would be tough games, but again, I, I would have to say Mississippi State right now probably their floor would be six and six their uh ceiling would be eight and four nine and three so i'm gonna pick them again (laughs) right around that same spot at seven and five but i just think their ceiling's a little bit higher and that's why i have them a little bit higher in the standings because of the amount of returning uh starters that they have so I think that you know I think that could be a major plus for them. at number six, I have the Kentucky Wildcats. and again you see why that October the 15th game, in my opinion is so important. you know you're talking about at that point uh, if for nothing else but bowl um, standings or whatever you know which team gets to a better bowl, that game could be huge and as far as determining that, I think you sit there and you look at Kentucky's schedule, obviously in the East. Now, they lost that huge game at Georgia last season. Uh, they, you know, at that point, man, you know, this was a Kentucky team that was 6-0 and going to Athens. They lo- lose that game 30-13. to They came into that game as 21-point favorites, so at least they did cover. That kind of gives you a little bit of hope for this team that's, that's obviously going to be uh, maybe a little bit more experienced than Georgia is especially on the defensive end. I think you compare both those defenses, Kentucky's going to be a little bit more experienced than the Bulldogs. Now, obviously, <laughs> it's played on both you know, ends of the line of scrimmage, and obviously, is going to have more talent. But I think you look at this team, again, starting quarterback returning, Will Levis, he's a junior this season. They have Christopher Rodriguez. Now, he is not going to start in his first game coming up this coming weekend. He's not going to play for on arrest that he had. I think it was a DOI earlier this this year or whatever, so he's gonna be suspended that first game. But Christopher Rodriguez is one of the best running backs in the SEC. I mean he is maybe you know, some might even argue the best running back in the SEC stat wise anyway, right? So you know, this Kentucky team is gonna have its chances. Now you look at the schedule, again they have Florida in the swamp week two. So it, you know Things start off really quick again. Now this is a Florida team that Kentucky has so much problem beating. And uh, you know, they finally were able to beat them again last year, twenty to thirteen. And, you know, after, you know, I can't remember how many years it had been <laughs> since they had beaten Florida. Uh they beat them that they beat them last year, two thousand twenty one, and they beat them in twenty eighteen. Other than that, I think it'd been like maybe twenty years or whatever it was. Something crazy. So can they come back and maybe actually win one in the swamp? Both of those wins uh, were in—they in, uh, had the one win in 18 in, in, in the swamp, so that was good. But that was a down Florida team. This is this Florida team. I think is going to be maybe a little bit down again because of you know all of the uh, changeover, coaching staff, and all that that we talked about earlier. But I think this is still a very talented football team that kentucky is going to have to beat down there i think that is a huge game that early in the season then they have a game at old miss that is going to be huge again same kind of thing bowl standings or whatever who gets to a better bowl games like that kentucky at old miss could be huge then it goes to south carolina so this this is a stretch right here when you look at look in kentucky besides that Georgia game which is on November 19th and they host the Bulldogs but this five game stretch is going to be huge at Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, at Tennessee and at Missouri. That's that's your that's your season right there if you can Kentucky. Obviously at that point you need to at least go in those five games, you probably need to go 4-1 and one to really get to where you really want to be. And where you want to be, if you Kentucky, is you want to be the team that's contending with Georgia. You want to be that second place team, at least in the East. And I think you have to, again, if you can beat Florida, you should be 5-0, and 4-0 going to Ole Miss. If you get that game, then you could you know, again, you see how where I'm going. So I think of uh, ceiling for this football team would be ten and two. Mark Stoops has that program where I think they can they can get that. I think again, they depending on what Florida does against Utah, they could be favored going into the swamp. They probably should be favored. And Kentucky is is ranked. Florida isn't. Okay, and then so you look you go down. They're gonna be favored in Oxford against Ole Miss. They're gonna be favored at home against South Carolina, and Mississippi State they may be favored possibly at Tennessee probably maybe Tennessee's like a slim favorite or whatever but again that's a toss-up game at Tennessee and then they're going to be favored at Missouri and Vanderbilt so those first 10 games there's only really one game that I think for sure that Kentucky may be an underdog in and it would be a slight underdog at that so at that point, I don't think they will be ten and zero, but they could be. They should be at least eight and two, nine and one possibly. And if they are, that is gonna put them squarely in the discussion to get to Atlanta. With Georgia coming to their place on November nineteenth. Yeah, it's a very interesting season. So again, like I say, for me, I would say ceiling ten and two for this football team. I'm going to go floor being 7 and 5. And I'm going to say they go 9 and 3. I think Kentucky gets to 9 and 3 this season. Basically the same place they were last year. And number 5 if we move on. <laughs> that other team in the east that I think can contend for that number 2 spot, the Tennessee Volunteers. And again, now, we're getting to the nitty-gritty of things, and these teams here and these next, I think starting with Kentucky, maybe even Mississippi State, now going to Tennessee very close to each other. Very, you know, very thin margin between these football teams. And I got Tennessee at five. Last year, they were seven and six. They returned 15 starters from that football team. It was Josh Heupel's first season there in Knoxville. And I think he did a Better than I think a lot of people thought that they would in year one. They identified Hendon Hooker as their starting quarterback. He is the man. Now, he's a senior this year. But uh, this dude is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I mean, I think you have to put him up there in the top four or five. Uh, Obviously, you have to put Bryce Young at the top. But then you go, I would say Hendon Hooker probably right behind Bryce Young. in a a group with, you know, again, the quarterbacks I just named, Will Levis at Kentucky, Um, you know, those three guys to me may be the best three in the conference. Maybe Anthony Richardson at Florida, those kind of guys. Anyway, so that offense that rocked and rolled and led the conference in scoring last year, (laughs) I mean, I I don't see that change. You have a guy like Cedric Tillman, who's a junior now, is probably the best wide receiver in the league. I mean, you sit there and you look at the exodus that we saw at Alabama and Georgia. You know, Alabama losing guys like uh, Jameson Williams, Georgia losing guys like George Pickens. I think probably Cedric Tillman, you know, and of course, Boucher there at LSU could have a claim on that as well. It's probably being the best wide receivers returning. Well, Again, there's another guy Wondell Robinson from Kentucky that left last year Now, again, Kentucky's going to have to identify a good receiver to replace him to have that that offense kind of rocking and rolling there in Lexington but uh, for Tennessee, man, I think they get fifth and I think you look at their ceiling, man <laughs> I think very similar to Kentucky would be 10-2 and I think that you would get argument from some people in SEC circles. I really think it's possible. When you look at the fact that Alabama is going to travel to Knoxville, and you look at the close game that they played last season, even though that game kind of got away from Tennessee to in the fourth quarter, and it ended up being 52-24, that was a close game up to midway or late in the third, maybe even early in the fourth quarter before, before Alabama pulled away. So getting them, at, getting Alabama in Knoxville could be huge. And you sit then and you look at this schedule: Ball State at Pittsburgh. You know, so Pittsburgh without Kenny Pickett, that was a game that Tennessee lost in Knoxville last year. Akron, Florida at home at LSU. Tennessee should be five and zero if they if they make that step that a lot of people think that they're going to make. They should be five and zero with Alabama traveling to Knoxville. If that's the case, I don't have to tell you how crazy (laughs) that environment is going to be. I mean, that would be back to really being third Saturday in October because you'd be talking about, for sure, a top ten matchup. Maybe at that point, maybe a top five matchup, depending on how things go. So, and then after that, you get Kentucky, and then you get the the other stretch that's going to be huge for them, Kentucky, and then at Georgia so i mean there're gonna be some people that think that tennessee can beat alabama in knoxville if they do that their ceiling would be 11 and one i don't think anybody would put their ceiling to being 12 no no one's gonna pick them to beat georgia and alabama but could they beat one of them maybe so i'm gonna put their ceiling at 11 and one i think you know maybe their ceiling is more 10 and 2 10-2-ish, but I'm going to put it, I, Yeah, I, you know, again, it, it, either way you go would be a phenomenal season for Tennessee if they could get to that coming off of 7-6 and six and hypo second season. I think, obviously, they're not going to get to that. I think more than likely, you know, that LSU game could be tricky. Obviously, I think probably they lose at Georgia. And then that South Carolina game, that game's in Columbia. That could be tricky. You never know. So, <laughs> while I can see that 11-1 being their ceiling, I'm going to go, something tells me 9-3, and three, but it would not shock me at all if they get 10-2. and two. So that's why I have them at number five. At number four, I'm going to go with Texas a and And I know <laughs> a lot of people may be a little surprised by that. But I've got the Aggies, and again, it, it's it's schedule and it's continuity because you have, even though you now Haynes King, who was the starting quarterback to start off last season, he is going to be the starter to start off this season now. So that is, you know, a good thing, and to a degree, I think. But, uh, you know, you have Max Johnson in from LSU, he's going to be the backup. So we were all the right way back to Haynes King being the starter which again I think brings continuity to, uh, to A&M but they had some key losses in other spots but I th- obviously this team recruited its butt off and, and to the number one you know to the tune of being the, the top ranked in the country and so and they still have a guy like Ainius Smith on the outside who's one of the best receivers in the conference I think you have to put him up there with Tillman and Abute as well Um, defense should be uh, very good as well. They returned 11 starters from last season's team. I think you sit there you look at the the schedule. It's tricky, man. (laughs) It's tricky, especially when you talk about September 17th to October 22nd. Now, there's a bye week in between Alabama and South Carolina at the back end of that. But then, I mean, really, I could even extend it out to November 5th. Be honest with you. Maybe even November 12th. This is a crazy schedule for Texas AM. You get Miami and Florida on September 17th. Now that game is, is at home. You get Arkansas again, you know, that game takes place at Jerry's World in Dallas. Again, very tricky game. Arkansas got them last season. You get you go, you know, you go to Mississippi State, so you go to Starkville. Again, very tricky game. And then you go to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, so Texas a this, this this is a huge spot for A&M, and, no, and there's no question about it. Then after the bye week, you go to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I don't know who made this schedule up at A&M. But, it, you know, I think talent-wise, A&M is a better team than Tennessee overall. But I think this schedule could push Tennessee up another spot because of how the schedule is made out. And and it is right here. This is the the meat and potatoes of September 7th and November 5th. Then you, after you get South Carolina you get Ole Miss at home. And then you get Florida at home. And then you go back to Auburn. I mean that that is a tough, tough stretch. Tough. That's a seven game stretch that that is going to determine exactly where this team goes. Eight game stretch. Obviously for them to get to where they need to be, they'd have to go seven and one. I don't see it. I don't see them going seven and one in that stretch. Could they go six and two? Maybe maybe. We'll see. So I, I again I think they're I put them ahead of Tennessee because of the talent. I think they're still more talented more a little bit more experienced, maybe than Tennessee is. We know a little bit more about them, but I can easily see Tennessee being them flip. You know them swapping spaces. I think their their ceiling would be ten and two, eleven and one, possibly. But I, I would say more ten and two ish, and their floor I think would be seven and five. I, mean, I really do I think their floor is seven and five which would be uh, uh. I mean that would be uh, a terrible season for Jimbo Fisher but I think probably they're going to end up in the middle of that I think they you know nine and three they, they had better at least go nine and three I, but I can see eight and four for this team either one eight and four nine and three I think is where Texas A&M is going to end up but I think they're probably still a better team than Tennessee. That's why I have them fourth. At number three, obviously, you know, <laughs> it's going to be crazy. And I think maybe I have them higher than most anybody else is going to have them. And it's the Arkansas Razorbacks. This is a team that went 9-4 and four last season. They, they have 11 starters returning, only four defensively. But the job that Sam Pittman has done there has been next to incredible. I mean, nothing less than incredible. It, it just really has. I mean, he has been unbelievable. No one saw them even winning the three games that they did in 2020 during the COVID season. Nobody saw them winning a the game. And that season before that, with Chad Morris being the head coach. I've always said since that season went down that might possibly have been the worst SEC team that I've ever seen. (laughs) Even worse than a lot of these Vanderbilt teams. Terrible football team. And for Sam Pittman to get them to three wins in 2020 and then to get them to nine wins last season is nothing short of amazing. And I think he's going to get them right there again to that nine win, maybe ten. You know, Nine win threshold, I really do. Nine, ten wins, possibly. I, mean, I think their ceiling again is going to be right there, along with A and M and Tennessee, ten, ten and two. I don't think their ceiling will be eleven and one, but I have more confidence in them getting to an eight and four or nine and three than I have in Tennessee or Texas A and think you look at their schedule. and A lot of people really think their schedule is so tough. I think A and M schedule is, is tougher than Arkansas. I think the reason people say it's as tough as it is is they're looking at that BYU game in the middle of the season, which I have no idea why Arkansas is playing BYU in the middle of the conference season like that. October 15th? Makes no sense, but I think they win that football game. I mean, I I think you know, again, Cincinnati, they open up with Cincinnati coming up this week. Those are two huge out-of-conference football games. So you know it's possible. I mean, look. I mean, who knows? Worst case scenario, they lose both those games. I don't think it happens, but that's the kind. Of, that's kind of the kind of the season that they that they put themselves with. Um, but again, I think you sit there and you really look at you. Get, after that, you get South Carolina at home. Obviously, they should win that game. The big game for them after that would be Texas A and M, and that game was in Dallas. They won that game last season. Then after that, October one, the Crimson Tide comes calling to Fayetteville. And you know, then it's at Mississippi State, then it's at BYU, then it's at Auburn. That is a huge stretch, but I think they could get away with only winning one of those maybe two of those games and still be in line to finish where I think that they where they should at eight and four, nine and three because the back end of the schedule's liberty. LSU at home Ole Miss at home and at Missouri they should win the last four games so I I think floor for this football team for me you have to say seven and five but I think probably eight and four would probably be their floor again KJ Jefferson this dude is one of the best returning quarterbacks in the league and not a lot of people really talk enough about him I don't think So for me, that puts them ahead of the game when you talk about A&M. Maybe not so much Tennessee because I think probably Hendon Hooker is maybe a little bit more dynamic. But I think Arkansas, we've seen more from Arkansas. We saw them beat A&M last year. We we haven't seen Tennessee win one of those games yet. So I, I have to put Arkansas ahead of them right now. So... For me, I, I got them three, and I think they get to eight and three, eight and four, nine and three easier than Tennessee or A&M gets to nine and three. That's what I see for this Arkansas football team. More than likely, they may even be eight and four. I mean, we, we may be talking about three, eight and four teams, those last three teams that I just talked about, but all three of them being top 15 teams in the country. <laughs> I mean, that is how stacked this SEC is you notice know, all the seven and five teams that I all my seven and five predictions and all my eight and four predictions. I mean, it is just that stacked. And number two, obviously, you know I have the those last two spots and it just what order do I have them in? And I'm just gonna go with Georgia at number two, just because simply the the losses that they had, they were finally able to get over the hump against Alabama. But uh Again, they lost a lot, and again, I, I, I can Obviously, you sit there and look at a team like Georgia. Their <laughs> their ceiling obviously is twelve and zero. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, they're going to be favored, uh to win every one of those games. I don't. I think they lose one though, and I think it's quite possible Georgia and Alabama lose a game. So, I, obviously, if I have Georgia at number two, I have Alabama at number one. But I think it's very possible both of those teams get to Atlanta. I think it's probable. But I think it's very possible that both of those teams get to Atlanta with one loss. You know, uh, yeah, Alabama's schedule, man. It's not, it's not as easy a lot of people want to make, make it out to be. I mean... They, you know, they have that non-conference game at Texas. But after that, after they get Louisiana, Monroe, and Vanderbilt at home, that's when it gets real for Alabama. At Arkansas. A&M the very next week. They go to Knoxville the week after that. Mississippi State at home. That That's the season. And right there, those four games is going to determine where Alabama is. I mean, obviously... At least three and one is gonna make me pretty much is gonna ensure. I would think at that point in eleven ones, eleven and one season, unless something really crazy happens, they win all four of them. The last four games were at LSU, at Ole Miss. Again, not give Obviously, they could lose one of those, and then Austin P and Auburn at home. But you would expect them to win those four games. So again yeah, I think Georgia and Alabama very possibly could lose one I think that Georgia game the one they could lose would be Kentucky at Kentucky and that, again the danger part of that if they do lose that game would be kind of late in the season I, I think it would still be okay but that would be the danger part for Georgia if they were to lose that game so anyway that is how I got it stacked up <laughs> that is my 14 so to recap really quick my 7-1. I have the Mississippi State Bulldogs at 7. I have the Kentucky Wildcats at 6. I have the Tennessee Volunteers at 5. I have the Texas A&M Aggies at 4. The Arkansas Razorbacks at 3. The Georgia Bulldogs at 2. And the Alabama Crimson Tide I have in the top spot. So let's go back and take a look at it as far as the division itself. I obviously I've got Alabama at the top of the, of the west then I have Arkansas finishing second behind the Crimson Tide <laughs> and I, I just really think that's very possible man I really do then at number three in the west I have Texas A&M at number four I have the Mississippi State Bulldogs at five I have the Ole Miss Rebels at six I have the Auburn Tigers and at seven Bringing up the rear in the West, I have the LSU Tigers. In the East, I've got obviously Georgia. I have the Tennessee Volunteers coming in second. I have the Kentucky Wildcats in third. I have the South Carolina Gamecocks in fourth. I have the Florida Gators in fifth. I have Missouri sixth and Vanderbilt, of course, bringing up the rear at number seven. So, you have it. Those, are, those are my power rankings, so to speak, um, in the SEC, East and West, man. And I think, again, it's going to be an unbelievable season. I, like I said, you see how I have this thing stacked up. That, I mean, I think there are several teams that can end up on either one. You know, the, the, the first set of teams from 14 to seven, I can see a couple of those teams getting into that top seven and vice versa. It's gonna be a crazy year, man. (laughs) It really is. And uh again, we're gonna be here to break it down as best we can. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come right back when Ball About the South continues. right, y'all, we're back and we're gonna finish this episode. Uh it has been my SEC Swag preview. And it is a part of my Welcome Back Football 2022 episodes. And we're going to have three of those episodes. This is the first one. We're going to have another one coming up uh, Friday. And then we're going to have another one, which is uh, probably Monday or Tuesday. Now, the, uh, my next episode, we're going to kind of feature the, AFC, well, the NFC South. I'm going to do the NFC South. We're going to preview those teams kind of look ahead at you know the NFC a little bit we'll also look ahead to some of the other games that are coming up this weekend on Saturday within college football we'll look at some of that then we'll come back early next week we'll do the AFC South and then of course we'll kind of you know look over the AFC or whatever and um, you know put out some predictions uh, preseason awards things of that nature in that episode so we're looking at kind of a three-part episode here in my Welcome Back Football segment. And that was basically what I, that was the title of my uh, first ever uh, episode here on this podcast. And so I felt like that would be a good thing to go back with. Anyway, I just want to finish off this episode and just looking, you know, for a few things that I'm focusing on as we get into college football 2022. The first one is really going back, you know, with my predictions here within the SEC, which one of those teams that I, you know, I'm predicting to go, you know, in that one to seven range for basically the top half of the SEC, which one of those teams could maybe slide down and finish on the bottom half? And then vice versa, which one of those predicted teams in the bottom half which one is more likely, maybe to um, slide up into the top half of the SEC? I think you look at it. Um, for me, if one team I think w- was going to drop out of that one to seven range and, and fall down, I think probably, probably that team would be Arkansas. Um. I'm a believer in Arkansas, but I think if you look as far as the team that's more than the most likely to drop, I would say it would be Arkansas and then probably Mississippi State. One of those two teams that I have in that top seven could drop out. And then basically it's because of schedule. um, But I really believe in K.J. Jefferson for for the Razorbacks. I believe in that air raid offense to a degree. Now, I'm, you know, obviously they've got to come up with some um, <laughs> a balance there. We're going you know, to be able to run the football a little bit here and there. And also the defense is going to have to do the best they can because, again, you know, we're talking about that air raid offense from Mike Leach. You're talking about a team with defense. is not going to get a lot of rest if they're throwing the ball all over the place. The clock's not going to run that much defense is going to be on the field a long time in, their foot, in those football games. So those are two things that you have to watch. I don't know if Mississippi State could ever be good enough to win a championship here in the SEC playing that way, but I do think they can win enough games to be a concern for teams and to, uh, like I said, to finish in the top half of this division. Again, especially with so many players returning from last year's squad. So, but I still think with that schedule, though, they could be one of those teams that drops. And again, the other team I would say would be Arkansas. But again, I, I, I think Arkansas is legit. I've got them ahead of Texas A&M. I have them finishing second in the SEC West, and I'm sticking by it. But that's the two teams I think could drop. The teams that could rise in that eight to fourteen range, I would say that could you know really have a chance to get into that top seven. I think you know Florida. I think them being right there at number eight, obviously it wouldn't be that, <laughs> that it wouldn't be that far of a, a rise for them to get into the top seven in the top half of the SEC. Um, I, I think that Billy Napier is going to be successful there. So you know what level of success I'm not really sure yet is it going to be a satisfying level of success to Florida fans and to their administration I'm not really sure about that but I think it's going to be successful and I think they're going to be a little bit better than people think this season so I think they could make that move up the other team I would say would probably be Ole Miss in that bottom uh, half of the SEC as I have it predicted right now I think Ole Miss has turned that corner to a degree. It's all about replacing Matt Corral, as I said earlier. If they can find a way to do that, then Ole Miss is gonna be a problem for some teams. They're gonna they're definitely gonna finish in that upper half. There's just a lot of unknown right now about, about Ole Miss, and that's why I have them a little bit lower on uh, on my list and my predictions here for the SEC in two thousand twenty-two. Another thing that I'm looking forward to, and man, you know that I'm really focusing on as we get into this season, several teams that may that are making huge strides, that have made huge strides. Do they continue, or do they kind of fall back a little bit? Do they they continue growing? Do they uh, a team like Georgia? I mean, I can't really say that they're growing. I mean, they are they are at the top right now. They obviously they're the national champions, defending national champion, of course. But you know, and they their program is here to stay. I mean, this is a reload type program now. It's not about oh you know, they have to you know, we've gotta rebuild and this, that, or the other. They reload from season to season and when you have that in your program you're pretty much there to stay. They're up, to, up there to stay with the Bama's and the Ohio States, and the you know Clemson kind of took, a tail, you know, kind of fell back here the last two seasons. But we'll see if they come back again. That's another interesting case right there that I'm focusing on the Clemson Tigers. How do they come back from what we saw last season? Again, three losses is not the end of the world, but when you sit there and have been to like. What was it? They had won two national titles. They had been to five or was it six championship games here since 2015. When you when you're having that type of success, three losses is almost like Armageddon. <laughs> I mean, it, it just really is. So how do they come back from that? Obviously, a lot falls on the shoulders of. Uh, will Angle, their, their quarterback, their returning quarterback. I think he had a lot on his plate early last season and probably was a little bit too soon. Maybe we you know, kind of misjudged him a little bit because I think a lot of people just thought, I don't think anyone really thought that he was going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence, but I thought I think that a lot of people pretty much thought the transition would be seamless and it, and it wasn't. So Clemson, toward the end of the season, kind of went back to their roots of running the football. And, but at some point, Uwe or whoever is going to be the quarterback at Clemson is going to have to you know, be able to push the ball down field some, to be able to stretch the field, keep defenses honest, that type thing, to help out that defense. The defense, you know, is going to be strong. I mean, it, it just comes down to what the offense does. And they have got a couple... You know, big matchups coming up this season. One noteworthy one, of course, is against Notre Dame. Um, And at ACC, who challenges Clemson? That's a huge question. That's another thing I'm focusing on. I think a lot of people are going to say NC State right now. There may be some people that say Mario Cristobal has that thing really going at a uh, pace where Miami can be a threat this season. He's doing this thing on the recruiting trail. I'm not really sure that Miami's quite ready to contend in the ACC just yet. But they're coming. It seems like they are. Again, Miami is another interesting case. The ACC is going to be very interesting. What does Wake Forest do for an encore to last season? They start the season ranked this season, but they lost a lot off of that football team. It's going to be, you know, I think they're going to be one of the more intriguing cases of 2022. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of how the ACC is going to go down. I would have to say Clemson's going to win it, but could one of those teams step up and spoil things? What about Pittsburgh out of the ACC? How do they do without Kenny Pickett? What is their encore to their season getting to the ACC title game last season? How do they back that up? Um, you look at other parts of the SEC, man, like you know Georgia. How again, how do they how do they come back off of the winning the national championship? How do they come off winning it all? How do they come back from finally beating Alabama? That's a big question. The Stetson Bennett thing still baffles me why uh, their fan base just does not like this dude. <laughs> I mean they don't they Flat out, I'm not going to say they don't like him, but they would rather have someone else be the quarterback. They just would. I mean, they they want someone dynamic, and Bennett doesn't really fit that bill. You know, they want a Bryce Young type. They want a C.J. Stroud at Ohio State type, a Caleb Williams at USC type. Even... Maybe a guy like Hendon Hooker at Tennessee or maybe Anthony Richardson at Florida. That's what they're kind of looking for. But the thing is, Stetson Bennett has has done everything he needed to do for that football team to win a national championship. (laughs) So I'm not really understanding why he's having so many people against him within the Georgia program. Well, not within the program, but within their fan base crazy stuff I'm telling you crazy Uh, looking a little bit further man. teams like Cincinnati what do they do for their encore from being the first uh, non power five team to get to the playoff obviously they lost Desmond Ritter who's with the Falcons right now we're going to talk a little bit about Desmond Ritter in my next episode as we get into the NFC South what do they do without him Luke Fickle, what you know? What's his uh, future looking like? Is he happy being at Cincinnati with them going to the Big Twelve? Is that enough for him, or does he look to something bigger? We uh, look in the rest of that AAC, which I think is very interesting, very underrated. UCF team, you know, Gus Malzahn, that team, one of the teams that's headed to the Big Twelve. What do they do this season? Uh, Houston, another team that's going from the AAC to the Big Twelve. What about Memphis? They're not going to the Big Twelve, but what about them? Could they? Could they stick their head up and maybe win this AAC this season? I think the AAC is going to be a little bit more wide open than it was last season. I think he had Cincinnati kind of head and shoulders above everyone else, and but then everybody else. You, you were talking about some kind of race last season I think it's going to be the same way this season uh, you know another team in that AAC is, is, is SMU uh, a lot of contenders a lot of good football in that league which one of those teams steps up and either takes take Cincinnati well which one steps up and takes Cincinnati's spot or does Cincinnati continue their stranglehold on that conference uh you know pac 12 usc i mean i'm hearing about this offensive line a lot of people are starting to rave about this offensive line this team has been terrible on both sides of the line of scrimmage that is the biggest thing that they need to get right for lincoln riley over there the offensive line they say is fixed we'll see defensive line they gotta fix that as well though <laughs> Uh Oregon has that big game against Georgia this coming weekend How do they fare coming down here with Bo Nix as their starting quarterback possibly But again, well, Dan Lanning, former Georgia assistant coach Has not announced his starting quarterback yet But we assume it's going to be Bo Nix I'm just going to put that assumption out there (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's so much going on that I really want to focus on this season what about Michigan, man, in the Big 10? How did they, what is their encore? How do they back up what they did last season? Finally stepping up, Harbaugh finally getting things done there. Finally beating Ohio State, finally getting into the playoff. How do they back that up? Do they can they go into the horseshoe in November? Can they get be 11 on 11 and 0 again this season? And go to the horseshoe and do what they did last season. Can they do it can they do it again? It's a lot of questions, man. Lots of things going on. Penn State in that in the big team. What is their outlook with James Franklin? Another interesting team. So again, a lot going on that I'm really focusing on here as we get into two thousand twenty two. And you look at Alabama and Auburn. I mean, Alabama a lot of people thinking this team could have three Heisman candidates at the end by the end of the season. One, of course, would be Bryce Young. Cannot see him winning this Heisman Trophy. I mean, you got you have two consecutive Heisman Trophy winners: Devontae Smith, and then of course Bryce Young. There's no way Bryce Young is winning this Heisman Trophy this year. But a lot of people are uh, saying Jameer Gibbs could be that guy. Then, of course, there are a lot of people that think Will Anderson could be the guy. A lot of people think that Will Anderson should have been in New York last season. That's going to be interesting to find out. It's also going to be interesting to find out what that offensive line does. I think that's really the biggest question about Alabama this season. If you look at them defensively, this could be one of the better defenses we've seen from Alabama in a while. On the other side of State, Auburn, you know, the quarterback situation, is T.J. Finley really the guy? Is he going to really be the guy to lead them back? And, um, again, could they be one of those teams that I have them 11 in my rankings here in the SEC. Could they maybe step up and get into that top half of the SEC? We'll see. And then Brian Harsin, you know, obviously we're going to be focusing in on that. Uh the Alan Green thing, Alan Green, we did not touch on that. The athletic director stepped down or was, was uh let go or whatever earlier this week there in Auburn. And Alan Green obviously hired Brian Harson. So you know how it usually goes. I mean, the domino effect <laughs> uh A D gone that brought you into Auburn. Brian Harson is, is, you know, that that seat is extremely hot right now, and you know, I'm not really sure what he's going to have to do. Um, I'm not sure if even. I'm, I'm not sure if he, besides having a, you know, what eight and three, eight and four, nine and three type record and above. Um, is that that would more than likely could be what he would have to do maybe to secure his job i'm not really sure no, you know we don't know what the, the mindset right right now is within the auburn administration but usually when a ad brings in a, a coach like that and the ad is gone usually the coach is not far behind i would think seven and five would be the base of what he can do to possibly keep his job that's just my thoughts on that so yeah you know, I mean those are things that I'm kind of focusing on if we come into this college football season. I think there's a lot a lot of storylines man not you know didn't even touch on the Jimbo Fisher thing Texas A how do they come back from last season? Um, you know again, I thought it was a pretty disappointing season despite the fact that they beat Alabama. they lose four games and that schedule is not easy. We talked about that earlier. Jimbo Fisher could be another very interesting um, job situation. What record does he need to keep his job? I would say at the very least, very least eight and four. But I would think, you know, nine, it may be nine and three. Another eight and four season is going to put uh, Jimbo Fisher's job in jeopardy, I I would think. I know. At some point, I mean, it's great to sit there and talk about all of the recruits that you have. It's great to talk about where well, we had the number one recruiting class in the country. But at some point, it's got to show on the field. Anyway, man, those were my thoughts, and this has been my SEC my SWAC preview. Uh, a lot to look forward to here in the 2022 college football season. We're going to get into the NFL in my next couple of episodes. Stay tuned to ball about the South yeah real sports talk, real Southern flavor. I am Kerry Wood at C. Wood on sports on Twitter and, and IG is my um, That's where you can find me and uh, come chat it up with me there. Look out for my new episodes until next time. I'm out. Peace.